Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. We're kicking off a new series today. Um, We're going to be spending the next few weeks together. And the concept that's going to tie it all together is just this concept of retweeting. Um, I'm not a tweeter. I'm not a a Twitter person. Um, It's not my preferred means of social media. And so, uh, but there's lots of people who love uh, Twitter Uh, Lots of people who love to use it, and then it just worked well with the concept of retweeting because retweeting is basically, and for us Facebook people, sharing um, and and letting what somebody else said, a post somebody else said, you kind of pass that along and maybe add some comment of your own, but you're relying on what someone else had said. And so this whole series is looking at where Jesus taught us to rely on what had already been said. To rely on what had already been said. You know, there's some, uh, Jesus said it is written lots of different times. Lots of different times we see Jesus refer to what had already been said. And he is God in the flesh. What he said, every time he spoke, he's writing fresh scripture. But we see that Jesus relied on what had already been said over and over again, and we can learn to do the same. So if you've got your bulletin, you've got your, your Bible app open, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, track with this idea that knowing what God has to say on an issue is vital to making life-giving decisions and life-giving choices. That's what we have to know what God has to say. Anytime you're going to make a decision, your first question ought to be, um, has God had something to say about this? Does God have an opinion on this? Has God written something already about this issue in my life? And if he does, I want to know what it has to say, and I want to make a decision along those lines. Our launching scripture for this entire retweet um, series is going to be Psalms 119.105 that says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Your word, what God has said, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Um, if you've been around uh, Celebration Church for a while, um, if you've been through our newcomers class, we talk about this concept that we want to be guided by a couple of questions of where are you and which way forward from here. In fact, they're on our back walls here in our building of where are you And which way forward from here? Because the truth is, is that all of us are somewhere. And every part of your life is somewhere. Your your life is somewhere and God has a way forward from that spot. You're not in the wrong spot to move forward. God can carry you forward from any place. We just have to let God define where we are. The problem is, is if we don't know where we are, we can't really move forward. So that's why when God spoke to Adam, fallen man, the very first thing that God speaks to fallen man there in the garden, he says, where are you? It wasn't because all of a sudden God quit being God and didn't know where Adam was and he wasn't playing this little game of Marco Polo. Adam, where are are you? Where are you, Adam? I can't find you. No, he needed Adam. He needed Adam to recognize where Adam was. He needed Adam to know. 
And so he says, where are you? The Holy Spirit will often ask you, hey, what's going on here? Hey, what kind, what kind of decisions are you making? So you will slow down enough to figure out, oh, wait a second. I'm in this groove. I'm in this pattern. I'm headed this direction. So that then the Holy Spirit can show you which way forward from there. See, God's word is a lamp and a light. It's a lamp to our feet. Tells us where we are, and it's light to our path. It shows us where we need to go, how to move forward from here. And so as we do that, we need to embrace that. Because the truth is, is that your life is somewhere. Your relationships are somewhere. Your health is somewhere. Your finances are somewhere. Your, the way you're making decisions is somewhere. And so you need to know where you are so that God can then move you forward from there. And to be able to do that, we've got to, we've got to help ourselves learn to respond to God's word so that when we hear God's word, we're like, yep, that's the direction I want to go. That's the way I want to do it. Most of us early on, we kind of will debate it and go, God, did, do you really? Is this really what's up here, God? Is it, can, I, can we not have a little wiggle room? Can we not maybe try it this way? I know you said this, but maybe some of this. No, we need to be able to respond and uh, this was not originally in, in my, my, my planning for this morning, but it just it was so perfect last night. Um, it was just a perfect deal about responding. Last night, we were sitting in the backyard. We were having dinner. We'd grilled out. We were just chilling. Dinner was over, but we're still sitting around the table in the backyard. Um, and I have uh, some music playing on the outdoor speakers, and we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, cutie, that's what I call my wife, Cutie. And so I, she leans over and she puts her hand on me. And she's like, Brandon, Brandon, uh, pause the music. And I'm like, all right. So I paused the music and then we heard it. We heard the snow cone truck. <laughs> over the music, she could hear the obnoxious music from the snow cone truck. And anybody who's over 35 years old knows what you do when you hear the snow cone truck. You run to the snow cone truck because it's going to move. It's going to pass your house. And so, man, we sit there and, and as soon as we were, she didn't say, that's the snow cone truck. She said, pause the music. I paused it. Bing. She jumps up. There's a six-year-old and an eight-year-old in the backyard. But it's the, one of the older people in the backyard. <laughs> jumps up and runs. And I'm about two steps behind her. And everybody else, all the 20-somethings are going, what is happening? As these people just, just shoot out of the gate. We're like, it's the snow cone truck. And so we just take off running, and sadly, it was not on our block, and it wasn't on the next block. And man, we began to deploy people. I mean, I was like, it was like, all of a sudden, somebody jumps on a bicycle and goes this way. Two people run on foot, one with asthma, and it's just running and going, go this way, go this way. I just sit there and hear some keys to the van, go that way. I'm calling Kona Ice. Is your truck around my neighborhood? And it's like 9 o'clock at night, and the guy's like, no. No, I'm so sorry. We're not out. And I'm like, ah, 
we want a snow cone. So we had to load up and go to Bahama Bucks because we never found that guy. We never found the snow cone ice cream guy. But I'm telling you, when you hear it, you respond. You respond, and it was just this, this little kid thing welled up in both of us. And we're like, yes, this is awesome. It's at our house. And, and so and you're, just, you're just seven years old with two quarters all over again, man. It's just awesome. And, um, but to, you've got to be able to respond. And you know what? Once we learn to respond, that, we, that, when, that when God's word speaks, there's blessing connected to it. When God's word shows up at your house, you better move. When God shows up in your front yard, he's got something to deliver and you better respond and you better get out there and you better move and you better go, you better go with it. And you know what? You may jump up from the table and everybody else is going, what is happening? And you're like, follow me. I know something good is coming. Just follow, follow, follow and go with me on this. Trust me. When I hear that, good stuff is happening. And we have to connect that with the word of God. We have to connect that with God's word that we go, you know what? When God speaks, good stuff's happening. And the rest of everybody in your life may be going, why are you responding the way you're responding? You go, guess what? I've lived this. Come with me. This is going to make a difference in your life. And we need to learn to respond to God's word. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be spending a good bit of time in Matthew uh, chapter 4, because there's a number of places where, where Jesus in, this, in his temptation, when he, he is being attacked, that he relies on the, when he relies on what is written. But one of the things I want you to see right here today, um, we won't get real deep into that passage. There'll be some time in the future where we'll get into that. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus has, has fasted for 40 days. Jesus is genuinely hungry. He's hungry. And it didn't all of a sudden just hit him. He's been hungry for a long time. It's 40 days into the fast. And the enemy comes in and wants him to do these little parlor tricks, a little magic trick, use his little godness, and turn some stones into bread and satisfy himself that way. And Jesus answers, says, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That in his desperate place of physical hunger, he's like, there is a hunger that can never, ever be superseded. No matter, no matter if it's been 40 days without food, there is a hunger that has to be in the driver's seat all the time. No matter how much this body wants something else, there is a hunger that has to be in the driver's seat, and that is the hunger for God's word. That has to be anytime something gets in front of that hunger, you're going to end up in a mess. I don't care what it is. You get in a hunger for a fresh relationship ahead of God's word. That next relationship will be a mess. You get in a hunger for some sort of success ahead of God's word. What you think is success is going to end up a mess. Well, you need to make sure that you're hungry for God's word first and foremost. And, and Jesus is baselining that for all of us. We don't live on bread alone. This isn't Jesus with a nice little, you know, bread bump on his belly full of bread going, oh, you know, you don't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You can see his backbone through his stomach. He's hungry. And he says, man 
doesn't live on bread alone. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, we have to stay hungry for that. And he is quoting God's word in that. He went, he, his mind was already on God's word. His mind was already on what had been said. He didn't have to go, uh, okay, give me a second right there, devil. Let me look something up. Pause. Let's, let's put a pen in this conversation. Let me Google that. It was all, his mind was already on God's word, and it comes out, and he is quoting Deuteronomy. <clears throat> oh, man, I hate these things. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. But it's so clear. It's amazing. It says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger. And he's talking to the Israelites when they were in the, in, uh, in the wilderness. He said, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you. They needed to learn. It's like, this is something we should already know at this point when Jesus shows up to teach you. The man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, folks, Jesus, he is our model. He is demonstrating for us what it looks like to, to walk in a living relationship with God, the Father. He is the firstborn among many brethren, the scripture says. Whenever he went to the, to the cross, he was God's one and only son. But because he went to the cross, God now has a lot of sons and daughters. There's a lot of us now because of that one who made that sacrifice and he was showing us what it looks like to live as a child of God. He is our model. And in that, Jesus repeatedly referenced scripture as his basis for decision making. Repeatedly referenced scripture as his basis, as his framework for making decisions. And he tried to teach his followers and the crowds and anybody who would listen to do the same thing. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 7. Um, here, John the Baptist has showed up. John the Baptist has been gone before to prepare the way uh, ahead of Jesus. And people are a little perplexed on who is John. Is, is, is he like this pivotal one talking about who's going to come? Because this, this, the scriptures are talked about in order. There's one who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then there was going to be the one who brought the way of the Lord. Messiah was going to show up. And they're trying to figure out, is John it or not? And in verse 7, says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He knows they're confused on who John is. And he's trying to give them some framework. You can figure this out, people. You can, you can figure this out. He said, what would you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Did you go out to see something that was kind of wimpy? You know? No, the, here's this fiery preacher guy. This guy that's different. He's out in the wilderness. He barely has clothes on. He threw some, a, 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 basically a rug and a belt on and went out to preaching and eating what he finds. He's eating wild locusts and honey, and he's preaching. He's a different kind of guy with a different kind of message, with a different kind of wardrobe and a different kind of location. He's not what they expected. And he says, are you going to find a, a reed swayed by the wind? If not, what would you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes, they're, they're in king's palaces. Then what'd you go out to see? A prophet? They made a trek out into the wilderness to want to see something. That's what they were wanting to see. They were, they were hoping to see a prophet. It says, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is the one about whom it is written. And now he takes them back to the scriptures. You could have figured out this if you use the scriptures as your reference. If you use the scriptures as your reference, you could have known who it is. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before the Lord. Now, John's message, as we see, is pretty clear cut. He says, prepare the way of the Lord. So we see a scripture that says, who will prepare the way before you. I think we can maybe make some correlations. Maybe this is the dude. But they were so confused because they weren't referencing scripture. They weren't seeing what had already been spoken. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and trying to teach the crowd and anyone who would listen to use what God has already spoken as a framework in the middle of your uncertainty. If you're uncertain, go to the scriptures. If you're uncertain, go to the scriptures. Because he's here, sitting here and quoting Malachi 3.1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the, Lord, <clears throat> suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. What happens when, he, when the, the one who prepares the way of the Lord shows up? Then the Lord himself comes to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so there's lots of different space for us to be able to connect. And he, he goes on to teach his, his, his followers and us that we should look to the scriptures on how to connect with our father. Matthew 21, verse 12. Now here's a spot where, honestly, where our framework, our normal Western framework of Jesus, um, it doesn't fit. You know, you have that normal picture, you know, the, the picture of Jesus who's entirely too white. Jesus wasn't a white guy, people. He was not a white guy. He didn't have blue eyes. He didn't have this little weird hairdo. Um, he didn't hold a lamb and a kid and walk around with a weird smile. That wasn't Jesus. Jesus looked Palestinian. Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Jesus hung out with fishermen. Jesus had probably had calluses on his hands. The scriptures say he wasn't handsome. He wasn't somebody that people would like, just want to look at and be naturally drawn to. It was the spirit of God on his life. It was the power and authority with which he spoke that drew people to him. It wasn't the outside package. It was who he was at his core that drew people to him. And so, but we have this, this mindset and we have this wrong picture of Jesus and then we have him as, yes, he is loving, but we have him as too sweet. He is love at his core, but he would love in a strong way when it's necessary. And we find Jesus doing something that most people would say was not very Jesus-y in this moment. In verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple area and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus comes in and he wrecks house. Things were not being done right. People were being taken advantage of in their attempt to worship and to connect with God. They were being taken advantage of and it ticked Jesus off. If Jesus had put on a t-shirt that day, his t-shirt would have said hashtag demo day because he rolling in and he's like, something ain't right and we're about to fix this. 
And he comes in and he does demo and he begins to clear house so things can be right in this moment. And, and it's in that he says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And he is quoting Isaiah 56, 7. These I, <clears throat> these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in the house of my prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then in dealing, in dealing with hardship, Jesus looked to the scriptures in dealing with difficulty, and especially in hardship with relationships. Man, that's so difficult. We, we tend to make pick people to be in our lives we feel like we can trust and aren't going to stab us in the back and aren't going to hurt us and turn on us. And so when, when it happens, man, it cuts us to our core. And Jesus had his moment. We, if you've been around church for any length of time, we know who Judas is. And when Jesus is dealing with his own Judas, he looks to the scriptures Matthew 26, verse 23 says, Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. It was written that he was going to get betrayed. He's like, I'm going to get betrayed. This is, this is part of the way this is going to go. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, yes, it's you. Now, most of us would think, you know, that it's like texting, you know. Somebody says, you know, um, hey, let's go eat at Rose's. And you say, great. They respond, great. Oh, man. Are they really want to eat at Rose's? Or is that the sarcastic, great? You know, we tend to, that's why it's so important to have context. You know, most of us, if, you know, our betrayer says, is it I, Rabbi? And then our response would be, yes, it's you. Of course it's you. It's always been you. And so it's, there's been this place, but I really believe Jesus was compassionate in this. And says, yes, it's you, because it had been prophesied. Psalm 41.9 says, even my close friend whom I trusted he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Folks, if you feel like that somebody's taking advantage of your trust and somebody who you, you've, you've shared your bread, you've shared your sustenance, the stuff that matters in life, and, and they've turned their back on you and even betrayed you, God knows what that's like. Jesus knows what that's like. And if somebody needs to be able to just be able to move forward in life and lay that down and bring that to God, I'm telling you, he wants to heal that. Because some of the most difficult wounds to get over are relationship wounds, betrayal wounds. And I want to tell you, man, God wants to bring some restoration into your life. And God, Jesus, taught us to look to the scriptures in that. Look to the scriptures in that moment. When Jesus was dealing with his own Judas, he knew even the one who has bread with me is going to do that. Then we see in, in other difficult situations, because not only does Jesus go, eventually they all bolt. 
And this may not have made it into your bulletin. We were, I put a lot of scripture in there this week. Well, Matthew 26, 31 says, and, and then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus knew his closest disciples, they were all going to bolt. And he even told them, I'm aware. He's kind of giving them a little out on the front side. I know you're not going to stick around. I know you're not. Just understand this, because Zechariah 13.7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man close to me, declares the Lord. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. So he understood that, that the shepherd would be struck. We see here that trusting God means basing our decisions on his promise instead of our own perceptions. This becomes the biggest challenge to live in based on God's word. As we begin to trust our own perception so strong, we're pretty convinced we've read the situation correctly and that we've got a good read on it. And therefore, instead of leaning on what God's word has to say, we'll tend to lean on our own perceptions. And we've got to make sure that we don't do that. Because we may not be, the way we're seeing it may not be right. We have to go to God's word itself. Um, I have done some con- handful of construction projects and, and do some things through the years. And I'm by no means an expert carpenter in any shape, form, or fashion. But I know just enough to be able to jump in and do some projects and get them, get them done. And, and so years ago, I was a youth pastor. And we got a youth building, an old uh, movie theater. And we were renovating it, and of course it didn't have a stage, and so we had to build the stage. And so I got all the, the lumber, had somebody there to help me, had all of the tools, and it comes down to set the stage. Um, and the one thing I don't have, the one thing I don't have is a level. I didn't have a level. And you need a level to make sure the stage is level. And so, but I had a brilliant idea. And that always makes my wife nervous when I say I have a brilliant idea. And I was like, but I had a brilliant idea because the building we were in was a cinder block building. And so, and I had worked in high school on a masonry crew, and I knew, man, those guys who do that, those set brick and block, man, they, they put a level all the time. They use these big, expensive wooden levels. If you mess up, they threaten to beat you with them. And so, and they use these levels. So I was like, I saw the straight cinder block. I was like, I know that was done with a level. I know it was done with a level. So that's level. So I don't need a level. Somebody else had a level. I will use theirs. And so I was like, I'll just eyeball it. So then we would sit and I'd have somebody adjust it. And I'm sitting back. And I'm like, All right, here we go. Yep, 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 that's right. Boom, boom, boom. Put the nails in it. And just running off of that. Well, man, once we did that, and it was consistent. And once we built the stage and had it all done and I sat back, we had a perfectly unlevel stage. It just sloped to the front so bad. Nothing would like stay on there round. It would just run off the front. And I acted like I was brilliant because we had all our sound equipment at the back of it. I was like, we got teenagers, man. If they spill a Coke, it all runs off. It doesn't ruin our equipment. This was on, pur- on purpose. It was not on purpose. I messed up. And uh, everybody knew I messed up. So Nathan Bosworth still gave me a hard time by eyeballing stuff. And uh, to this day, and so, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. I didn't use a level 
myself. I tried to use what somebody else had done that I knew was a level and let that be my guide. Folks, you and I, we have to go to the word ourselves. I appreciate you sitting here and taking this teaching seriously and listening to me, but I'm doing this so you will go to the word. Because what's real easy for us to do is to find somebody we really like and respect and go, oh, Daniel's a great worship leader. I know Daniel spends time in the word and Daniel looks at that and Daniel does that. I'll just go off of Daniel. And then you look off of that and then all of a sudden you're like, well, why is my life not running right? There's something wrong with Daniel. Daniel, straighten up. And it's not Daniel's lived through and his best to live his life off of God's word. But you can't sit there because God's word will be speaking directly to you. That's why Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He expected them to know what it looked like to follow Christ. He didn't just say, follow me, folks. I've got the level. Come with me. He, He didn't do that. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Keep comparing me. Keep looking at it. If things are going good, keep rolling with me. If I get off basis, you choose Jesus over me every time. That was Paul's word to his followers. And you've got to, you've got to sit there and you've got to come and you've got to study the word on your own. We as ministers, we do the best we can to be able to follow God with all of our heart and to help you to understand it. But it's for you. And it's for you to look at the scriptures. It's for you to spend time. It's for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Not just say, all right, preacher, whatever you say, yeah, I'll do it. No, it is for you to look at the scriptures. You have to do it. Or you're going to end up sitting there and things are off. And then you're like, a church, they don't even know what they're talking about. No, you look at the scriptures. Matthew 27, 46. We see here that we can't go by our own perception. Matthew 27, 46, it says about the ninth hour, Jesus is on the cross. He's there. He's crucified. His body is just being racked with pain. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a place where we see that He is dealing and he feels the weight of sin for the first time in his life. Jesus had never never sinned, but the weight of sin is being placed on him as the sacrifice for all sin of all humanity ever. And the weight of that begins to feel like this place of separation. I know that there are those who look at this and say that God turned his back on him, but I don't believe so. I don't believe that God turned his back on it at all. And in fact, I think it's, it tells us this in what in the scripture Jesus is quoting. Now, the bulk of the Jewish people at Jesus' time, they knew the scriptures. And why they said he's calling for Elijah whenever he's clearly quoting the scriptures, which is, my God, my God, Eloi, 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 why they got confused on that Maybe because his tongue was so swelled up, it didn't come out right. But he is quoting Psalm, and he is starting Psalm 22.1. Psalm 22.1. Now, we're going to be a little undignified for a second, okay? All right? We're going to be a little undignified for a second. We're going to reach, reach outside of these walls and talk about our culture as a whole, okay? But there's some things that we can do, and, and if you can flow with me, I want you to just automatically respond, Okay? Because there's some things, if I start it, 
you can carry on, okay? And you're free to carry on. If I start it, you can carry on. So we'll do it this way. All right, stop. There we go. There we go. Well, all you have to do is get the very first beginning of it going. We'll try this one. We'll try to reach to the everybody in the room, okay? Try to reach everybody in the room, all right? Sweet Caroline. See, all you got to know is the beginning, and then all of a sudden you begin to jump in. Now we'll bring it into our space. Now we'll bring it into our space, and if you've been walking with God for a while, and then we can do it this one together. Our Father, who art in heaven. Awesome. All of a sudden, we can just begin to start that. And all of a sudden, it begins to do the, understand the whole thing. Jesus is starting. He is beginning. Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it is not a psalm about being left forsaken. We get down into verse 17. It says, I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. This is talking about the crucifixion scene. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. They threw lots for Jesus' clothing. This, this is the most, this psalm is the most descriptive of the moment these people were living out. This was written about way in advance of them, and he starts that, and their brains should begin to finish and see, oh, oh, oh my gosh, Psalm 22, Psalm 22. We're living this out. We are living this out. It goes on to say, for he is not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. Does that sound like somebody who is forsaken? The same psalm just carries on. He has not turned his back on them. That's not being forsaken. But has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. Verse 27, the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. That is what Jesus was accomplishing. That we could all return to God and worship. Our sins taken care of us but made right with God. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. And then it finishes out with this. Psalm 22 begins... It begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends with these two verses. Our children will also serve him. Future generations. Let's talk about us. Right here. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. We are part of the future generations who have heard about the wonders of what was happening when Jesus was on the cross Saying those very words of that psalm. You and I are part of the future generations hearing about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. To us. They will hear about everything that he has done. That is the fullness of Psalm 22. That is the fullness of Psalm 22. And that's why we go on in the crucifixion story and Jesus has his final words. It says, and he called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
That is not the words of a man who is, feels alone and disconnected. He knew that he was with his father the whole time. And he says, into your hands, into your hands right now, I'm letting go and my spirit is going right into your hands. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. This is in direct reference to Psalm 31. 1 through 5 says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you're my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. See, folks, Jesus showed us how to live a life trusting God to do what he said he was going to do. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is faithful, faithful to his words. And those same concepts are reflected in the New Testament by Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. By us, the amen is spoken. It is spoken. That amen means so be it. Amen is not the sign off to a prayer. It's not like talk to you next time, God. Amen means so be it. Everything that I've prayed, so be it. Amen. And to all his promises, we're to say, so be it. We see a promise in the scriptures. Our response should be, so be it. We see that God is going to be with us and never forsake us. So be it. That we can be the first and not the last. So be it. That he's going to go before us and be our rear guard. So be it. That we're going to be able, that no plague come nigh our dwelling. So be it. That is, should be our response to every promise. And so our bottom line today is this. Let God's word shape your world. Your world is being shaped by something. The world you make, with the choices you make, it's being shaped by something. Let God's word shape it. And then we begin to live in the way that God has called us to live. See, God loves us, and he has given us his word so we might know that he cares and choose life. Choose life. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.